Hi, everybody, and welcome back to That Pretentious Book Club. This episode is very special because, well, first of all, your other co-host, Dr. Spoons Palermo, a.k.a. Kendall Shaw, is not here with us. It's just me, Ash O'Rourke, a.k.a. Wheezy, and a very special guest. Today, we're getting to talk to author Laura Brooke Robson, and... I'm so excited to have her here. I just, I got her book in the mail and her, her newest one, and it was so good. I finished it last night, so I'm so excited to talk to you. Anyways, this is Laura Brooke Robson. Laura, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Big fan. I'm really excited to be here. My second book, Messina is My Name, just came out uh, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago when this is coming out. Uh, my first debut novel Girls at the Edge of the World came out last year they are both YA fantasy yeah I grew up in in Oregon and California and I um, moved to Australia during the pandemic and I'm somehow still here unexpectedly so we are recording across many a time zone right now that's a that's cool. I actually lived in Oregon for like seven years. I saw that you're from Bend on your website. I lived yes. um I lived like south of Portland in Estacada. Okay, okay. I yeah. did swim meets there in high school, I think. <laughs> nice. Nice. What took you to Australia? Uh, my partner is uh, Australian, New Zealander, American. Nice. So, and I just have nice. the one passport. Cool. I'm not bringing a lot to the relationship. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, one of my closest friends is from Australia. I think she's from Perth or the area around Perth. She's going to kill me if I'm wrong about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So you've been stuck there because of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I mean, stuck being. <laughs> oh, my God. This is I can't. There's a lot of behind the scenes for everybody. This is Lily. Thank this is very exciting. Wanted her to feel included, you know, and so she usually is harassed by the other younger cats. And so I was like, it's fine. She can come just sit in here. I have the door shut. The dog can't get in to bother her. The cats can't get in to bother her. I set up a nice cozy blanket for her. She was like, no, instead, I would rather lay inside of your computer courts. I mean, who wouldn't really? Seems cozy in there. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely warm in here, so I might end up stripping off my sweater. I realize when I record, I typically end up stripping off a few layers of recording because <laughs> I get warm. <sighs> but you're not having that problem because you said it's like 40 degrees over there. No, I'm nice. sitting under a heater because it's winter, which is just very, I feel very off kilter about that fact. I was born in July. My birthday is in a couple of weeks. And the fact that I have a winter birthday is very uncomfortable for me. Oh, that's weird. That's so strange. So you, do you plan to uh, to come back home uh, when uh, travel allows? Yeah, I mean, travel opened back up again a couple months ago, more freely, but I'm just still here somehow. Yeah. I was back for Christmas. I saw my family over the holidays. I'll come back again soon. It's just the things that uh, are up in the air in pandemic times. Yeah, I completely get that. Well, I have to ask because it's what we always ask. What's your zodiac sign? Cancer. You're a cancer. Nice. Cool. cool I am cool. a cancer. And I looked it up because I know very little about astrology. But according so to CoStar, <laughs> my cancer son means that I'm fundamentally sensitive and my emotions may seem like a burden to me, which is the thesis of the C knows my name. Like, that's just the whole plot. It is. That is. That's so funny. Oh, so, so, I like, well, there so you go. I'm assuming that she's a, that uh, Thea, our main character, is a cancer too. That would make sense. I'm trying to remember if I ever 
specifically gave her a birthday. I think, I don't know that I ever, months and seasons were something that really stressed me out in my first book, Girl uh-huh. Feeds the World. And I like invented months and stuff. And it was so hard for even me to keep track of. And I, I want to say that with the scene as my name, I'm like flipping through it right now. I originally invented seasons and months and then was just like, I cannot do this again. So there might be actual, <laughs> actual months in there. If any intrepid readers feel like figuring out if it's ever said when Thea's birthday is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to hope for headcanon that she's a cancer because that would make the most sense to me. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Well, what got you into writing? When I was in, I want to say second grade, we had some assignment was write and illustrate a book. And I wrote right. a, a short novel called, uh, <laughs> and it was like, Welcome to Happyville. And I, it was potentially my opus. I stapled it. There were some stick figures. Oh my God. Really the height of the, the stick figure art form. <laughs> I've noticed uh, your website is, by the way, you guys should go check out her website. I think it's Laura Robs or laurabrookrobson.com, right? Yeah. And it is delightful. It has got these, like, they're not quite stick figures, but these like hysterical illustrations all over the website. I particularly enjoyed your, an American, an illustrated American's Guide to Australian Animals. I read it all <laughs> last night and was just cracking up at your illustrations. Every once in a while, I'm like, I should post something on my website as like proof of life. Like, what do I have to Uh say? I guess I'll draw something. What can I draw? (laughs) Very little. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But anyways, you're so you had to writing. Yeah. In second grade with an illustrated novel. Is this the one about otters? I'm I'm impressed you know that. I'm surprised at what I've left scattered about myself (laughs) on my website and on the internet. No. So that was in probably fifth or sixth grade. I decided really early that what I wanted to do was be an author. And I also decided in retrospect really early that I wanted to be a young adult author specifically. Mm -hmm. I was probably like 13 or 14 and going around telling people, Uh I want to be a YA fantasy author, which is like, yeah very specific and I think I was you were like 13 years old and like this was the height of human experience (laughs) yeah exactly and so I started writing about characters who were my age so I was writing about like 14 year olds yeah this is YA and then I got to like 17 and all my characters just staged 17 Mm -hmm. and now I'm 25 26 in a couple weeks and I'm like it's odd that all my characters stayed stuck there and now now I'm writing some adult stuff on the side I'm like maybe being an adult is also interesting but remains to be seen maybe adults bring something to the world it's not as exciting as 17 year olds my writing has stayed mostly the same too it's mostly all 17 year olds it's just it's intimidating to step into the world of adult fiction just like it's intimidating to be an adult also just when I was starting to write more seriously what I was reading was YA I was reading the Hunger Games and the Raven Boys and all these books that yeah. were so formative to the way I wanted to write or thought I wanted to write at the time. And I think that mm-hmm. that's just, that's pretty ingrained in a lot of us who take an interest in writing when we are ourselves teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So this is your second book. Do you want to tell us really briefly what your first book was about? Because it looked really interesting. Yes. So my first book, uh, Girls at the Edge of the World, takes place on the cusp of 
uh, an apocalyptic flood that the stories, the fairy tales all say will uh, cover the whole world and only the very rich and privileged can survive on these ships and in these fleets that will last a whole year throughout this you know, biblical flood. And um, it follows two 17 year old girls um, Natasha, who is the principal flyer uh, of an aerialist, aerial silks performing troupe uh, within the palace. She's in the royal flyers. And she grew up on fairy tales and knows that in all the stories, the girl who marries the prince always gets to survive. And uh, it seems like if she has the prince's attention, which she does, and if she wins his affection, she could become the next queen and she could survive. But the other point of view character, Ella, has lost the girl she was in love with and comes to the palace seeking revenge and her only goal left, the only thing left to guide her is to assassinate the prince, the king. So good. <laughs> and it would certainly be inconvenient if sparks flew between the two of them, huh? So that's my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's the book that's that going to be so the world. good. Oh, I love it. That's delightful. You really have a knack for naming books, too. Was that does that come naturally to you or no? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, oh, we, good. Same. <laughs> both of the books went through about seven different titles. Mm-hmm. Most of the different word documents, like for the C knows by name. I think it was originally called something horrible, like thieves of gold and thunder which doesn't make any there's no thunder in the book there is no gold and they're pirates but they're not really thieves <laughs> it was it looked like it was spat out of like a YA title generator glad that that wasn't the title. that's hysterical um for a while I think it was called like a handful of sea which doesn't make sense grammatically or thematically honestly it's better than most of my, my book titles <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you did too because it's so good, but you would never know that the titles don't come naturally to you because they're both so good. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about The Sea Knows My Name or do you want to just read the back cover? How do you want to how do you yeah. want to pitch it? Okay, okay, I'll pitch this. So 17-year-old Bea Fowler again 17 was named after the goddess of rationality and cleverness and she cannot live up to her name. She cannot live up to this this cutthroat goddess her mother named her after. And her mother, Clementine, is a ruthless, self-made pirate, the epitome of the the strong female heroine archetype uh, who Thea would desperately like to become, but just feels like she's always falling short. So when Thea falls for um, a boy who wants to rescue her from her mother and her circumstances, she runs away with him. But the boy isn't who Thea thought he was, and soon Thea is on the run again, alone, uh, grappling with trauma and wondering if there is more than one way to be strong. So good. Ah, I finished reading the book last night, so I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's so good. You guys, this book was amazing. I just, guys, go read this book. Um, it's excellent. It's an excellent concept. The characters were wonderful. The world is so vivid and believable and, like, It's so, it's interesting because it's fantasy and so it's, you know, a world that's not really ours and there's stuff that's not really stuff that we're familiar with, but all of the human experiences and relational experiences are so familiar. Like you so nailed that. Um, So what inspired this book? Two things. One, as I mentioned, Clementine, the mother character is very much this, this in quotes, strong female heroine, (laughs) which 
is something I think about a lot because when I was seventeen-year-old Laura, aspiring writer, I really wanted to be that character I was reading about in books, and I very much thought of strong as physically strong, and you know, not getting bogged down with emotions, and could sip whiskey and just like silence a room with a glare because I was that tough and cool one of the boys and (laughs) that was also like who all my main characters were who I was writing Mm -hmm. and I think when I set out to write the very first draft I never finished of this book when I had this idea I wanted to write about pirates that was very much who Thea was she was like really tough and really badass as I was writing this I was like first of all she has no character growth because she's like fully (laughs) formed and second of all this is not who I was when I was 17 and it is not who I am now. So I really wanted to spend time with a character who was very aware of that trope and wanted to be that person, but couldn't get there. And why did she so want to be that person? And why had I as a teenager so wanted to be that person? So that was kind of where Thea and Clementine's dynamic came from of like Clementine, who this, this physically strong, tough, person who fights her way to eventually get taken seriously versus her daughter who doesn't know why she just like can't measure up and is is naturally gentle and empathetic but doesn't see any strength in that so that was where I just wanted to spend time with that spend time with the strong the strength of the female heroine Yeah, you totally nailed it, too. And I think that that's so difficult. That's definitely something that I struggle with, too, because I'm like, I pride myself on being a whiskey sipper, like, kind of like think of myself as a badass. But I'm not really. And I forget the fact that it doesn't you don't have to be a Clementine to be a strong person. And Clementine was such an interesting character because she was sometimes a villain and sometimes a hero. But ultimately, like, she's just a human who wanted to be taken seriously. And she chose this very specific path to go about that so good and so vivid and their whole relationship like you definitely wove that theme like completely just so naturally throughout the whole book like the subtext is so strong and so consistent I was all about it oh I'm so glad what about your writing process I saw on your website you have an extremely detailed bibliography of (laughs) like books that you reference that you used for research in this book, which is hysterical to me because what I always liked about fiction, writing fiction, is that I don't have to do that research all the time. And you were like, mm, I'm going to give an annotated bibliography like, like you would have to do for school, even because no one asked you to. You were just like, just in case anyone wants to know. <laughs> yeah, no one asked for this. And I'm like, let me tell you all of the things I read. Well, I did it at first for um, Girls at the Edge of the World, and most of what I listed, it was just like on my my bookshop.com .org profile Mm -hmm. of like, it sort of started as, if you like the vibe of these books, you might like my book or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But then I also threw some other things in there, like, you know, I've done some some research about floods is relevant to that book. And then I took it a lot more seriously with The Sea Knows My Name, because I just kept getting stuck with these really fundamental questions of as I was thinking about like that main question, where does my conundrum about what does it mean to be strong come from? It's like, honestly, I have no idea. And so I would sit and think (laughs) with it and try to try to trace the the roots of it, which led me to read 
a surprising amount of nonfiction for something that is completely set in a fantastical world that I made up. So I ended up reading her parents or her family is all, all scholars and the world is sort of modeled after, after maybe an 1870s England, I would say. It's really obsessed with the Greek classical myths and the classical era. And, and that's sort of what Thea is experiencing too, as she's in this society that really values science, but has fairly sexist and, and xenophobic view of like what science mm-hmm. can prove. And they also really value these myths, but these myths are very old. And what do they say about strength and warfare and uh, women's autonomy and all of those things? And once I kind of got to that setting, I was like, this probably means that I should read some books about the state of science (laughs) in like the 1870s and the roots of sexism in science, hence my bibliography. excellent well you can definitely tell that you did the work because it feels completely realistic and totally vivid like the science the way like men and women are you know treated differently which is obviously not all that different from how stuff still often goes but definitely for that time period felt totally accurate and then like you kind of like did like a spin on some of these classic myths which and your characters were kind of like mirroring them themselves and it was so good like Sometimes when people like make their own myths in books, I'm like, mm, I don't really buy it. I fully bought it. I was like, have I not heard about these myths? Like, what is this? <laughs> well, some of them are very Greek. Like, if anyone has heard yeah. the story of Cassandra, like, cursed to tell true prophecies that no one believes, that I just kind of took, repurposed. Yeah. But like, it's in there. And the goddess Thea, who is hyper rational, and you can't put rational in quotes, meaning basically just not emotional. Yeah. She's very much like Athena or Artemis, basically the goddesses that I mm-hmm. felt it was okay to be when I was uh-huh. I was a complete Greek myth kid. Like I love Greek myths. And oh, I felt yeah. really annoyed that there weren't more cool stories about the goddesses. Like I didn't want to be Hera who was always jealous. Or like Persephone, who is just getting kidnapped. Like, that wasn't interesting to me. I wanted to be cool and tough, like Athena or Artemis, who were also, I don't know, maybe not so coincidentally, the virgin goddesses. And that's also kind Mm -hmm. of a theme in this book, because this book deals with sexual assault. And so the idea of strength as, as tied to sex and sexuality, too, was something that was really interesting to me, and I think pretty formative to me as a kid. Yeah, you handled it really well in this book, too, which can be tricky, especially because it's for a YA audience. But I think the way you did it was perfect. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) What do you feel is the most challenging part of the writing and or publishing process for this book? For this book, multiple timelines. I would be pretty (laughs) hard pressed to write another book with multiple timelines and also myths. So there's sort of three timelines because there's a past tense thread that by the end of the book catches up to where the present tense thread starts at the beginning. And then there's also like four, it's in four parts. It starts with four, the myth of sections. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to tell the story in these alternating past and present timelines because I knew I wanted it to be a story about memory and, and trauma and how our memories and also stories we know shape us. But for a really long time, the past tense section worked and the present tense section did not at all. 
And so the past tense section stayed the same through a number of different drafts because I think me and my agent editor all just found like it was, felt like it was authentic and emotional and sincere. And then the present tense thread would just be like hijinks. They would just be like, okay, now it's time to storm this little island and, and do something fantastical because I was like writing fantasy <laughs> and feeling this pressure to do yeah. this big climactic scene that did not fit at all with the emotional core of the story. And so mm-hmm. making the past and present both feel they were moving at the same pace and they had a similar emotional and thematic resonance and that you weren't mm-hmm. super annoyed when it jumped from one to the other. It was so hard to balance. It took so many tries and I don't know that I would I would be willing to embark on something like that again. <laughs> well, again, you nailed it. So all the work you put into this definitely shows. How long were you working on this book? Oh, I want to say I wrote the first draft right after I sold Girls at the Edge of the World, which was in July of 2018, which is kind of surprising looking at the book now because she's slender. She's not that long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I wrote... I guess, a version of it with a lot of that kind of overwrought mm-hmm. hijinks and then put it aside for a while, was doing edits on Girls the Edge of the World, which I also rewrote just an ungodly number of times. And then around the time the pandemic started, I went back and completely wrote a new version, finished it, and my agent said, okay, great, send it. And like the day I typed the end, I emailed her and I was like, I'm going to start over. <laughs> start from oh the very God. beginning again. And I did. The next version I sent to her was like 100,000 words long. This final (laughs) one is like 60,000. And essentially Uh none of that version, which at this point was like the third draft made it into the final. Uh I think this version is about the sixth like true draft. (laughs) And I keep thinking about the, what's it called? Like the ship of Theseus Uh paradox philosophy question. It's like, if you replace every part of a ship, is it still the same ship you started with? I'm like, does this count as a different book? <laughs> Than the one you started with? From the That's one I started funny. with? Yeah. yeah. That sounds like it. I'm, I'm reworking a book that I wrote years ago. And I'm doing like a full rewrite, which I've never done before. And it does, it feels like that completely. Everything is switched around. But like you said, your book is pretty thin. But what's funny is like, it doesn't feel like a thin book reading it. Because all of the care that you took to make all of the timelines like fit and feel completely seamless. And all of the work that you put into world building is so... It was so effective that like I truly within however long this book is was like immediately I'm inside the world and I felt like I spent all of the time with the characters that the characters were living like it didn't feel like a short book at all so which is nice too because like I'm a huge fan of like concise is better I always feel like Mm -hmm. concise is better so I also it's probably also part of why I enjoyed the book so much was because it was concise and the reason I like concise things is because typically a concise book has everything that you need and nothing you don't and that's exactly how I felt about this book like I don't think there was anything fluff in here which was just delightful to read it made it really fast I think I read it in like two days (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I used to be, um, I used to really feel a lot of pride and just like the sheer mass of a word document. Like this is, mm-hmm. I say a word document, I mean a scrivener document. And at this point, I'm just <laughs> like, nope, nope, cut it all out. I want it to be as short yep. as I can get away with. Yeah, I, as I say that, the book I've been rewriting, I keep going, oh, I'm going to cut out this whole chapter. And then I'll realize I've added in so much more content that 
my word count is higher than when I started. So that means it's good. I'm going to have to go back through again. I hate that this is happening, but it's, that's just how it goes. Uh, if you had to pick one favorite line from this book, what would you pick? I spent so long thinking about this, reading your questions, and I eventually <laughs> settled on on page 13. No spoilers. The ocean reminds me not of most mothers, but of my own. Because the idea of the sea as feminine was something that I played on sort of throughout mm-hmm. the whole the whole book. And as I mentioned earlier, like I swam in high school. I still love swimming. And so the opening scene when Thea is just swimming for miles through the ocean meant a lot to me. And I was really glad that I got to include something like that because swimming was mm-hmm. always such a like cathartic and empowering yeah. thing for me when I was this age and also now. But also swimming in the ocean continues to terrify me <laughs> yeah. and I feel like that that summarizes how Thea feels about Clementine a hundred percent yeah that you so nailed it with that line too and I have like an obsession with the sea I don't know how much of our pod you've listened to but like I have a bit of a mermaid obsession and always have um, I was not on swim team, so I'm sure you can outswim me any day. So I think about the sea a lot, especially like in human terms. And I feel like the way that you use that and it was like a mirror of kind of Clementine and also Thea was so good. I love I love when people characterize the ocean because I feel like she does have such a character and she's always, always grand and intimidating. But sometimes she seems so peaceful and then sometimes she's like destroying ships so (laughs) she has such range (laughs) she's got range if your main character could join us on the pod today what would she say to our listeners so my dedication was uh, for all the girls with stories to tell and I feel like that is what Theo would say she would want everyone to tell their stories and stories that feel true to them because with these right. Greek myths that I had, one of the big themes of the book, I guess, is just the way that these myths and the interpretations we have of them have impacted Thea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Thea would want the listeners to think about what stories and, and myths and legends have impacted them and to tell their own stories. That's great. I love that so much. My my whole like thesis for why books and stories are important is just that that's how we learn about the human experience and the experiences of others. And it's what builds us and it's how we can intentionally shape ourselves into people that make the world better than it was when we arrived. And I love that. I mean, just like everything about your book, it was just like full Ash vibes. But I think that's why so many of us are attracted to reading and writing and telling stories. So I fully agree. I think stories are just like one of the most powerful ways we have to influence on the the world around us and I hate when people are like oh it's just cheap entertainment it's literally not yeah yeah I love that well what are you working on now I am nothing I can totally talk about yet but uh as I said I'm working on some adult projects which I'm really excited about just expanding a little bit writing about characters who are a bit closer to my own age Mm mm-hmm but all, all of the same vibes. I feel like whatever genre The Sea Knows My Name is, is kind of my happy place where it's fantastical, but it's mostly just about characters. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. So it's kind of in a fantasy genre? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's nice. There's not enough adult fantasy, so I'm glad someone's taking that on. That's why I still only read YA fiction for the most part, is because it's hard to find really good adult fantasy. It is. It is. Yeah, I feel like I just, I was delayed in my foray into reading adult fiction of any genre, and now I'm finding all these books mm-hmm. that people read like 20 years ago. I'm like, wow! Have you heard <laughs> of this? I'm like, yep. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, that's me as well. I, I do that all the time. Uh, well, how can people follow along with your progress, what you're doing, stay in touch, stay involved with you? Yes, um, I am on Instagram at Laura Brooke Robson. I am essentially everywhere at Laura Brooke Robson. And they can look at my website, which is also laurabrookrobson.com. And delightful and full of wonderful listeners. <laughs> so you guys definitely want to check it out. Uh, we'll also share all of your information on all our social media. And I'll try and remember to put it in the show notes, too so that uh, you guys can go follow Laura and you guys should and you guys should so go get this book because oh my god I was so I so enjoyed it it's also fun because it means that I can be like ha Kendall I read one more book than you this year which is actually probably not true because she's in graduate school so she's probably reading a lot more than I am but uh, I can pretend (laughs) well is there anything else that you want to say to the listeners about your book thank you so much to everyone who picks it up it is truly such a joy to be able to share story with everyone and it means a lot well thank you so much for joining us today laura i know everyone is going to enjoy this episode and it's so fun to get to talk to you and thank you for bringing this book into the world and for telling your stories oh thank you so much for having me this was so fun uh well we're gonna do our sign off line now i don't know if you want to join me for it you want me to do it by myself oh i will join you okay cool so until next episode listeners keep your teacups full wait okay teacups full your pinkies Uh, Hi. 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 Teacups full. Pinkies high. And your book club. And your book club. Pretentious. Pretentious. We'll use that. That was excellent. (laughs) 